Hi everyone, I'm Charlie Boyd and welcome to the Jesus on Display podcast. Before we begin today's content, I wanted just to say thanks for supporting us here at Fellowship Greenville with your gifts and generosity. Because of your giving, we get to share resources like this podcast with you to help reach you wherever you are in your life with Jesus. If you'd like to support the ministry of Fellowship Greenville, you can head to fellowshipgreenville.org forward slash give to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. It was Jesus' radical, unconditional, nothing else like it in this world kind of love that brought Zacchaeus to repentance and obedience. And not just obedience. <laughs> I mean, Jesus walks in the door. He's not in the house very long. And Zacchaeus is like running around trying to sell all his stuff. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to sell half of everything I own and give the money to the poor. And if I've stolen anything from anybody, if, <laughs> there's got to be a long list of anybody's there. But if I stole anything from anybody, I'll pay him back fourfold. Like if I stole $100, I'm going to pay him back $400. And what's interesting about that is that according to the Mosaic law, Leviticus 6, if somebody sold if somebody stole something from someone, they had to pay back what they stole plus 20%. In other words, you steal $100, you pay back $120. Listen, you can get compliance sometimes with the law. You know, like if you yell and scream loud enough, you might be able to get someone to comply. But if you want true repentance, if you want, if you want heartfelt Sell all your, sell half your possessions and give it to the poor. Pay them back fourfold obedience. If you want that kind of obedience, that is only going to come in an amazing grace encounter with the Savior. Because you, you see, we will not obey God until we first realize we are accepted by God. And we cannot obey God until we realize that we are loved by God. It wasn't Jesus preaching a sermon on extortion that led Zacchaeus to repentance. It was Jesus' radical, unconditional love for this man who probably never felt anything close to that love in his entire life. That's what motivated radical obedience. Never underestimate. Never underestimate the presence and power of Christ embodied in the tangible, unconditional love of his followers. Now, I can imagine in a room like this, there may be some of you here that at some point in your life, you ran off the rails. You started really well, but then you just, you know, you, you just kind of, your faith didn't mean as much as to you. You made some bad choices and you ended up kind of far from God. And I would imagine you probably heard plenty of uh, sermons from well-meaning Christians telling you how you needed to repent and turn your life around. But you'd also say none of that, none of those sermons landed. In fact, they may have actually caused you to double down in your rebellion. I know one young man, I'm just gonna call him Zach. He was raised in a very godly Christian home. His parents were both leaders in the church. He trusted Christ, was baptized when he was 12 years old. And, but um, when he got to high school, he ran off the rails and just started living like the devil. And when he tells this story, he says that when he was 16 or 17, there were people in his life who, who talked to him 
a lot of people, but there were two that kind of stood out, both family friends. The first guy sits him down and with a stern look on his face says, do you know who your family is? Do you know how much your family loves you? Do you know how the way you're living is bringing shame on your family? Shame on you. You need to stop this right now. You need to straighten up. You're selfish. You're materialistic. You're immoral. You need to repent and turn back to God. But there wasn't anything in that sermon that made a dent in his hard heart. Sometime later, he bumped into another family friend. Actually, this guy was one of his Sunday school teachers from his early years, elementary school years. And the guy says, hey, can I take you to lunch? I just wanna catch up and see how you're doing. And Zach's like, okay, here we go again. But he meets the guy for lunch, and this guy, when they sat down, he noticed he had kind eyes and he had a soft face. And the guy just talks to him. They talk about sports and music and common interest, and they just shoot the breeze. And the man asks him some questions, but not like interrogation-type questions. He just asks about things that uh, Zach was interested in, and he asked questions about things that showed that he really cared about him. And then he said, Zach, you know, I, I love your family. They've been great friends to me through the years. And I love you, and I just want you to know I pray for you every day. And he says, here's my number. If you're ever going through some, I know you're going through some stuff right now, but if you ever get in trouble, if you ever need my help, day or night, if you need me, call me and I'll come help you. And that was it. And Zach said, I wanted to race after that guy. I wanted to hang out with him all day. I wanted to keep talking. He said, that was the beginning of a turning point in my life. What, what was the difference? With the second man, Zach experienced a man embodying a Jesus kind of authentic, unconditional love for him. They met together a couple more times. Zach repented, repaired the damage with his family, all of which brought about a renewal of his faith. You know, Paul talks about this in Romans 2.4. He says, do you not know that it's, the, that it's God's kindness that leads to repentance? Do you not know that God's kindness leads to repentance? We think repentance leads to God's kindness. He says, do you not know God's kindness re leads to repentance? I don't think we know it. Now, when we're studying through Romans, we, we, we know it. Because it's right there in the Bible, so you gotta, you know, you gotta know it. It's like right there on the... But we don't know it, or maybe we don't believe it when it comes to dealing with the Zacchaeuses that God brings into our life. We're more like, but, but if, I, if I show them grace and love, if I don't call them out for their sin, they'll think that their sin doesn't matter to God and they'll think that I'm affirming and condoning their sinful lifestyle. Listen, I understand the tension. I feel the same tension myself. I understand the fear, especially if the Zacchaeus you're dealing with is a family member. Believe me, I understand that, but I'm telling you, after spending hours and hours in this passage and in, in the, with this message, I'm like, I understand the tension, but if Jesus wasn't worried about that, why am I worried about it? It's God's kindness in and through you, embodied in you, that the Holy Spirit can use to generate 
repentance in the zacks of your life. It's God's kindness embodied in me as an individual. It's God's kindness embodied in us as a church as we leave this place and go back to our neighborhoods and workplaces and schools and community. It's God's kindness that leads to repentance and life change. We know that the teaching of Jesus matters. That's why we read it and study it and seek to apply gospel truth to our life. We know that the truth of Jesus matters. We know that the mission of Jesus matters. It's right there at the end of the Zacchaeus story. Jesus said, this is my mission. I've come to seek and save that, those who are lost. That was Jesus' mission, and we're invited and called and challenged to be on the same mission with Jesus. We know his mission matters, but there's something else that matters. And this is huge. The way of Jesus matters. The way of Jesus, what are you talking about? The way of Jesus. It's the way of Jesus with Zacchaeus right here in this story. It's the way of Jesus with the immoral woman at the well in John 4 who was divorced five times and was living with a man who was not her husband. It's the way of Jesus with a woman of questionable morals who washed Jesus' feet with her hair at Simon's house in John chapter seven. It's the way of Jesus with a woman caught in adultery in John chapter eight when Jesus says, I don't condemn you before he says, go and sin no more. That's the way of Jesus with fallen, broken people with messed up lives. What way, what way? The way of Jesus is mercy before judgment grace before truth. Mercy before judgment, grace before truth. Now let's take them one at a time. Mercy before judgment. James, the half-brother of Jesus, understood this because he said in James 2.13, mercy triumphs over judgment. And where do you suppose he got that? From his brother. John 12, 47, 48, look at this. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I don't judge him. For I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. Will there be a final judgment? Absolutely. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my words has a judge. The word I've spoken will judge him. But notice the phrase, on the last day. Not today, but on the last day. During Jesus' life and ministry, in his day, his way was mercy before judgment. And that's the good news of God's grace. Are you taking this in? The way of Jesus was and still is mercy before judgment. John the Baptist didn't know that. John Baptist preached both sides. He was an Old Testament prophet. We do not take our cues from the Old Testament prophets and neither do we take our cues from John the Baptist. He didn't understand the true role of the Messiah. Jesus understood what God, the divine mandate that God had given him, and that is go in the highways and byways and compel the lost to come in, the least, the littlest, the lost. I'm not judging you, come in, trust in me. That was the message. Mercy before judgment, and then grace before truth. Grace before truth. In John 1, John tells us that Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, and he goes on to say that Jesus came and dwelt among us, and John says, we were completely blown away by his glory, his beauty, his greatness, which was what? Simply this, that he was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Sermon on the Mount, truth. Pharisees, truth. But when he, related, when he encountered fallen, broken, messed up people, 
who were far from God, his way with them was grace before truth. And that way shaped his teaching, that way shaped how he carried out his mission that the Father had given him. The question is, is his way our way? And if not, why not? If it was, I don't think those one word descriptions of the church today, homophobic, judgmental, hypocritical, would be the way people outside our faith would describe it. I mean, what would happen if they did that survey again some years from now, and the number one thing that people said was something like this, I don't really know what the church is all about. They sing songs and they, they do weird stuff, like they, they eat these little teeny crackers that they're kind of bitter tasting and they drink grape juice out of these little chalices that are about an inch tall, like go figure. They dunk people underwater. They definitely live different from me, but all I know is that they're kind even to people who don't deserve it. I read a story a while back and it really shook me up. You can find it online. The title of the article is Two Lesbians Walk Into a Church. It's by a pastor, gospel teaching, gospel believing guy, John Burke. He wrote a book called Unshockable Love. The article comes from that book. The article tells a story about it about a girl named Amy, a young woman named Amy. She's a lesbian. She's in a relationship with another young woman named Rachel. They don't go to church. They have very little spiritual interest whatsoever. But Amy wakes up one day and just out of the blue, she says, hey, Rach, let's go to church today. And Rachel's like, church? We hate church and they hate us. Like, why would we go to church? And Amy says, well, come on, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Their motto, and this is the motto at John's church, come as you are. Their motto is come as you, come as you are, but we, we know that that means come as you are as long as you're not gay. Push pause. Like you can be an alcoholic, you can be struggling with drug addiction, you can be greedy, you can be living with your boyfriend, but if you're gay, the rules change. Amy says, look, if we show up and they know that we're lesbians, if, and if they act disgusted and they shun us, we'll, we'll show them that their faith is a fraud. So they go, they go to church. And as Amy tells the story, she says, I came on a mission to shock people. So Rachel and I would hold hands. We would sit, snuggle up close to each other, like arms around each other. She said, but instead of disgusted looks of contempt that we expected, People met eyes with us and treated us like real people. Push pause. First, when I read that, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Like the, the church treated them like real people. But then my heart sank at the word expected. They expected looks of disgust. They expected to be shunned. They expected to be shunned by people who by no virtue of their own were plugged into the lifeline of grace. They expected to be shunned by people who know they deserve nothing but judgment, but who have found grace and forgiveness and salvation through the grace of Jesus. How does that work? But Amy said, instead of the disgusted looks of contempt, people met eyes with us and they treated us like real people. So we started going to church every week. We kept moving closer to the front each week, still trying to get a reaction Get this, so that we would be rejected sooner or later. (laughs) 
But she said, we couldn't shock people. So we stopped trying to shock people. And I started learning. Somewhere in there, Rachel broke it off with Amy and Amy kept going to church. And she said, the more I listened and learned about the teachings of Jesus, the more I started to actually believe that God really did love me. She says, and in time, the more I believed that God could actually see something of value in me, the more I trusted him. She said, in time, as I continued to seek intimacy with Jesus, the lesbian struggles fell away. Amy got saved. She embraced Jesus, why? Because she encountered the unconditional, humanizing love in Jesus, embodied in the unconditional, nothing else like it in this world, love of his followers. She got saved and today, Amy is on staff with that church, helping others to recover from all kinds of sexual and relational struggles. Never underestimate the power of loving people unconditionally. Never underestimate the power of walking in the way of Jesus. Mercy before judgment, grace before truth. Never, underest never underestimate what God can do through a local church that seeks to be the physical, tangible presence of Jesus to people in their community. The Jesus on Display podcast is produced right here at Fellowship Greenville in Greenville, South Carolina. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Follow and share this podcast with anyone who might be interested or curious about our church community or how storytelling unites us and helps us feel more connected. To actively keep up with what's going on at our church community, head to our website at fellowshipgreenville.org, follow us on all social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for tuning in. Grace and peace to you for your week. And we'll see you next time.